Will you pray with me? Father, we want to know that you are God, and we want the world to know that you are God. And so I pray as we open your word today and as we look at these two verses, that you would say something to us that changes the way we think so that you can change the way we live so that we can be your agents of change in this world. And this is our fervent prayer through Christ our Lord who is able to make it happen. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God is good all the time. So how are you doing? I left you with peace last week or I tried to send you out into the world and I know it's been a, a, uh, an eventful week. Some of you uh, dropped off kids at college in other cities or maybe in this city and because and, um, I've done that and know how that feels, my heart's been with you this week, praying for you that God would give you peace in the midst of, of that. And then uh, others uh, have new babies and grandbabies and uh, we, we celebrate that. We um, think about that change. And, and for me, it's been, if I can just level with you, um, one of the busiest weeks of my life. And I'm looking at this next week and I think it's going to be even more busy. And so how do you live at peace when life is just crazy and you just feel like, you know, like I need to be put in a slower group because I'm not keeping up with all the stuff that's going on. And, um, you know, just to give you an example, Thursday and Friday, we brought in this team from Brainerd Baptist Church over in Chattanooga. And they're training us to be disciple makers who make disciple makers. And it was amazing. But I told Larry Heslip, um, by the way, I love Larry and I'm grateful for 15 years of ministry. He's made me and us a better church. And um, so I'm grateful for that. He's only unreasonable about the Oklahoma Sooners and that's just another subject. Um, but, but other than that, he's a great guy. And I just said to him, so I got to get out before five on Friday from the discipleship training. He said, why, what do you got going? I said, yeah, at Christmas time, um, as a Christmas gift to Casey, we bought tickets to One Direction. And um, so we're going to One Direction. And so I, you know, I, I just can't tell you how far it is from discipleship training all day <laughs> to One Direction. I mean, it's just, you think they both kind of have One Direction, but I mean, it's just very, very different. And I knew I was kind of in a different place when they started playing this song, you've probably heard this. I, I think I've probably heard it at some point. But they started playing the song, um, not One Direction, but the songs leading up to it, Highway to Hell. And people stood up and started singing it. I'm like, really? That, okay, wow. I was unaware that that many people were interested in going there. I mean, it was, like, it was just, wow, I didn't understand. And just observing all that and watching all that. And it was like me and there were a couple other dads there. And we just kind of looked at each other and just shook our heads, you know. And then there were moms, and then there were 72,000 14, 15, and 16-year-old girls. And it was just, wow, wow. I mean, the whole experience. And they were singing about, um, you've got that one thing. And I kept thinking, so what is that one thing? And Paul says that one thing is to know Christ, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I'm, I'm not, I don't think that's what One Direction was talking about, but I know... That's what the scripture is talking about. So I wonder what we've been thinking about. And if you tell me what you think about all the time, I might be able to tell you how we're going to live. Because the way we think, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 23, verse 7 in the King James Version, as a person thinks, so 
is he? What if the way we think shapes the way we live? How will we live? Would you open your Bibles with me? Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. We've been thinking together about thinking for a change, thinking so that our lives change, and um, we want to continue that in Philippians chapter 4. We've got a couple more weeks in Philippians on this same theme. There's a lot that we've thought about this summer, so if you've been out, um, not, not great sermons, but important sermons, if I could say that. And so I would encourage you to pick those up because I think it's important to think about what we think and why we think that way and how that affects the way we live. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and his word. You've heard about our moral compass. I wanna think about our spiritual compass. And why don't we just say this together today because it's good for God's people to read God's word out loud. We're standing in reverence for him. Let's just say these things together. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We'll take God at his word on that one. Please be seated. Never ever trust a preacher when he says, finally. But that's what Paul says in verse 8. Finally. Finally, brothers and sisters. And then he starts with seven whatevers. Who knew that whatever would become such an important word in our culture? But it's, it's taken on new meaning in recent days. Whenever anybody says anything, it's like, whatever. Well, he says it seven times. And then he talks about not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. And we saw last week that through prayer, we can have the peace of God. Through prayer, what did we say? With thanksgiving. And when our thanking is right, when we live gratefully, Paul says, then we can get our thinking right. And so if we can have the peace of God by praying, he says, we can have the God of peace when we put our thoughts about God into practice. And in fact, you will know how much you love God. We will know how much we love God. Richard Roll, a 14th century theologian said, we'll know in three ways. By the way we think, by the way we talk, and by the way we work, we're revealing something about our love for God. So what if we became like what we think about all the time? Back at the beginnings when computers were known just to be uh, just sort of uh, mechanisms and we would put information in and then it would spit that information out. And they had this expression, you remember it? Garbage in, garbage out. In other words, the computer is just a system and if you put bad information in, it will give you bad information back. The, the danger, a uh, new expression, garbage in and you think it's the gospel that comes out. So you feed it with bad information and suddenly it's gonna spit out really good information. In fact, Paul says our brains work in that same way. That if we fill our minds with things that are true and noble 
and right and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. If we fill our minds with good things, then good things will come out in the way we live. The way we think inevitably shapes the way we live. So what are we thinking about? Paul says, think about God. Think about Christ. And this is a different kind of approach than I think you'll find in most of the anti-anxiety books that come out, some 4,000 books written on happiness last year. I haven't read all of them, but often I find that when people approach that, from a sort of non-spiritual, maybe psychological perspective, what they'll say is, so that you can have peace of mind, you just gotta stop thinking so much. You gotta stop analyzing things and just, just kinda you know, numb yourself out. You can do that chemically, you can do that, you know, we're um, entertaining ourselves to death, you can do it through entertainment. Just something to keep you from thinking about, about things. You know, it's, um, it's what Tim Keller calls kind of, of stupid peace. That is, you know, peace that doesn't think. It's, you know, ho, 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 to the bottle I go to heal my heart and drown my woe. It's Johnny Depp in the Pirates movies sitting on the beach thinking if I can just get enough you know, what about the rum? If I can just get enough rum, then I won't think about the fact that I'm on this island. That's one way, one way to think about peace. But another way to think about peace is to actually think about what we believe about God. So when, when Paul says, whatever is true, I said to you last week, we don't believe in Christ and follow Christianity because it's a formula that's going to work for us. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian because it's true, because it's actually right, because it's the very best. And what he says is you want to think about things that are true and truth, it turns out in the scripture, is personified in Jesus Christ. I was thinking about years ago, there was a boxer whose nickname was The Truth. And I, I, I truth, truth told, I couldn't remember his name. So I looked it up and it's Carl the Truth Williams and his name was the truth I guess when you ran into his fist you ran into the truth you know I don't know why he chose that nickname but I know this Jesus said I am the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and the one whom the son sets free will be free indeed and Paul says you you want to think about the truth you want to think about things that are noble and things that are right. And pretty soon when you start looking at who fits that bill, who actually meets all eight of those words, the only answer I have is God. Because God is all of those things and more. And in a way, what he's saying is one way to peace is to think about what you believe about God and then put that into practice and you'll discover that God is with you, constantly giving you peace. So what do we know about God? And this is really a doctrinal kind of thing. And immediately somebody say, man, I don't want to think about doctrine. No, but, but what we believe about God will change the way that we live. And so he says, think about the truth. And God is the truth. Now, the alternative to that is to think about things that are a lie, to think about things that are ignoble, to think about things that are dishonorable, to think about things that are impure. And I just want to tell you, as if I need to tell you, you have myriad opportunities for that. If you want to focus on things that are not holy 
and worthy. The psalmist said, how can a young man, a young woman keep their way pure by taking heed according to your word? And so I would encourage you, as Paul says, to replace uh, negative thinking with thinking about God. It's really like planting good seeds that cause the grass to grow and the grass by growing will kill all the weeds. That's the way it works in our minds as we think about who God is. And I, you know, I was just this, this week, I mean, I've just been immersed in, in God and immersed in culture because we're in the world, but we're not of the world, but we're, we're always part of the world and you know, no condemnation, but you know, I just heard this song on the radio that's really popular right now. And the young woman, if I called her name, who sang the song, you know, and so she sings this song and I'm like, oh my gosh, does she know what she's saying when she sings those words? And then somebody later in the week said, yeah, and she sang the song Oceans this week. Now you know who I'm talking about. And I thought, so, so which is it going to be? Is it going to be um, when you're ready? Or is it going to be spirit take me deeper than my feet could ever wander? So my faith becomes stronger. Because here's what I think, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't think it can be both. I don't think I can be available in this super sensualized culture completely to any relationship at all and at the same time be completely available to God. And that's the world we live in. It's what Paul's talking about, I think, in Romans 7 when he says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. But remember, there is a chapter 8 after all. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And God wants to change the way we think. And it's, look, for me, the challenge is not just the choice between bad thoughts and good thoughts. Oftentimes the choice for me, are you this way? It's between like good thoughts and the best thought. And Jesus Christ, as the song, Be Thou My Vision says, thou my best thought. God, the best thought. So let me just give you an example of this because I think we get caught up entertaining ourselves to death and you know entertainment's not bad but I mean I was well sometimes it is but I mean I was watching you know America's Got Talent this week because I've never watched that show but I just watched it a couple times recently I was thinking I'm not sure we do I mean I know it says America's Got Talent but I'm watching and I'm looking and I'm just not seeing it maybe it's maybe I wasn't watching the right episode I'm not sure Um, but I'm just thinking so you could do that and it's just kind of mindless but does it draw me closer to what really matter. So I'm, I'm listening, you know, to One Direction and I think they've got some very meaningful lyrics and I think they've got some pretty good voices and I was trying to figure out who Niall was. I've been hearing about Niall and, and, you know, Liam and I'm trying to figure all that out. And at the same time, I was so grateful. I had, I was texting a friend of mine that I run with on Saturday mornings and I, and I had my, he tests me on the Bible verse I'm supposed to be memorizing. And so I said, man, I got my Bible verse out. I'm memorizing Psalm 27, listening to one direction right now. That's what I'm doing. He goes, wow, good luck with that because it might be hard to concentrate with the noise in the background. That's the loudest I have ever heard uh, that stadium, even at a football game. It was, it was crazy. But I was just thinking, how do we set our minds on good things? Another example. So I don't know how many of you play fantasy football, but I mean, until last year, I never did, you know, and I love sports. You know me, you know, I love sports, but I was you know, my, you know, a lot of people in my family were playing, they invited me to play. And I ended up in two leagues. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it big, right? So I'm in two leagues at the same time. Well, you know, life was simpler before I played fantasy football. Why? Because all I had to keep up with was the Texans and my college team, right? So that, that's time, but it's not a lot of time. But now suddenly, I've got players on every team. 
And I need them to do well so that I can beat my brothers. And you know, I'm all about beating my brothers. And so I got, you know, I got it. I got it. So I'm watching Thursday night football because my receiver's playing. And my kicker turns out is playing on Sunday night and my running back is on Monday night. And I watch more football than I've ever watched in my life. And I don't even really care. And at the end of the day, I don't even remember who won. And I don't even remember. Oh, I do remember I won the fantasy football league in the office, but that's just something else. But, but I, I just, I don't, you know, it didn't really matter. At the, it shows you that it's not about talent, right? I mean, you know, because I, I, mean, it was just, I was clueless about it. And I was just thinking, you know, so what, what, what's the big deal? I mean, why not play fantasy? Well, there's nothing wrong with playing fantasy football. That's a good thing to do. Unless it consumes your thoughts day and night. Unless you spend time that you could spend loving God and his people, loving that sport. And here's the thing, it lasts 17 weeks. And by my calculations, that's a third of the year. And I can't afford to put life on hold for one third of the year. Not for football, not for anything but God. And so the challenge for us is to, is to really say, not just, you know, what are the bad things that I need to stop thinking about, but how can I consume my life with the truth of who God is in ways that that changed me. And here's what he says. That's verse eight, you know, all the whatever's there and the two anythings. And then he says, and what you have, when, when, you, when you think about God, the chances that you will begin to live like Christ. And I think that's what verse nine is about. You say, wait a minute, he's really saying you're gonna live like Paul. But here's the thing. If you live like Paul, it turns out you live like Christ. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm following Jesus. And if you're following me and I'm following Jesus, who are you following? Yeah, you're following Jesus. And we're not interested at Tallowood in apprenticing you to one of us. But we would love to apprentice you to Jesus. We would love for you to, to begin to learn so much about Jesus that you live like Jesus so you can lead others to do the same. And that's what that training was about this week. And that's what we're about with our small discipleship groups. That's what we're about in, in Bible study. If you only come to one hour a week, please come to Bible study. Come at 10 o'clock. Get in a group of people who will love you and hold you accountable and that you can pray with and study the word of God together with. Because when you do that, God's going to begin to shape us as disciples in community. And Paul could only say, follow me as I follow Christ, if he was following Christ. You can pray for your pastors here because we want to be those kinds of people that if you were following us, we would not mislead you. But by following us, you would be coming closer and closer to Jesus. And I heard this week, Bill Stafford, the evangelist from Tennessee said, um, so your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And Paul said, you can follow me because I'm going to walk with Christ and I want you to walk with Christ. And Andrew Murray said, one of the greatest gifts God ever gives is a person who is centered in the will of God, so centered that people can learn from them about the faith of what grace can do. That's Paul. I mean, he was a persecutor of Christians and then he becomes the leader of the Christians. And we heard testimonies this week from some of our trainers about who they were before they were Christians and who they were after they became Christians. And there's almost no resemblance at all. And the only way you can explain it is in terms of Christ. Now, what about my life and your life would say to the world, yeah, that has to be Jesus. There's no other way to explain that person being like that. And this is what I know, that we learn to walk like Christ walked by following other people who are walking like Christ walked. You remember my, my um, 
video of the of the, the dogs. Remember Daisy? Not the one that ate the I'm sorry, I startled some of you, the one that ate the ice cream. That was a good story, though. I'm just saying that was a really good video. But there's another one. I, I, maybe do you remember this one? The little dog that's trying to come down. That's Daisy, and she's trying to come down the stairs. But oh, it's not it's working. Okay. Come on. Almost. No, I, I, I'll show you. See? How did he do that? I don't think so. Simon's got you. Come on. You can do it, Daisy. Yeah. yeah. Why can't my dogs get along like that? I mean, they just never will. There's no way. But I love that image because I think that's the way we learn to become disciples, by apprenticing to those who have already done it, who are learning to walk with God. And we just, we need a coach. We need somebody who will teach us what that looks like. And so when he uses these words, when he says think, the word in Greek, logizomai in, in, chapter, uh, in chapter four, verse eight, it means to really sort of drill down, to think deeply, to ponder, Logizomai, it's logic. It's, it's sometimes translated reckon. Reckon, calculate, think about it. And then he says, proso, put it into practice. Let it become the way that you live. And his promise is when we do that, when we learn, we will become disciples of Jesus Christ. So he says, whatever you've learned from me, that's the word discipleship in verse nine. Whatever you've learned from me, what has Paul learned? We'll see next week. He's learned in every circumstance to be content. Anybody got that one down yet? Because I don't know what your bank account says, but if you have learned to be content, you are a wealthy, wealthy person. And Paul says, in good times and bad times, I've learned. Same word. My discipleship has taught me to be content with where I am. I can handle good times. I can handle bad times. By the way, a lot, a lot more people can handle bad times than good times. You'd think it'd be the opposite. But when everything's going well, we sometimes forget about God. And Paul said, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's really not a weightlifting verse. It's, well, it's, it's about spiritual weight and about how God enables us to live as we learn about who Jesus Christ is. I was reading about a Harvard surgeon this week and he said, you know, for years and years I got better and better as a surgeon and then I realized there was a point at which I just kind of plateaued and I wasn't getting any better. He said, I was on a medical trip, you know, going to a medical convention and, and I decided to take a tennis lesson while I was there. And uh, this young guy was teaching me how to play tennis and he increased my, my serve speed by 10 miles per hour in about five minutes of training. And he said, I thought how weird it is that I would ask a college student to coach me in how to serve a tennis ball, but I don't ever ask anybody to help me become a better surgeon. And by becoming a better surgeon, I could save more lives. And he said, we need a coach. And Paul is saying, I'm willing to be your coach. You can't do this alone, but I'm willing to be your coach. I'm going to help you grow. I think it's the same image. Remember the Stradivarius violin, you know, um, Antonio Stradivari, who lived at the end of the 1600s, the early 1700s. And uh, recently, one of his violins sold for $3.6 million. They think there's about 500 of them in the world. If you know where one is, like in your closet, you are a very wealthy person. And here's what I want to ask you. So how do we make more of those if they're worth that much? Well, the problem is he didn't write down the instructions. 
And they've actually analyzed them chemically and they found out, you know, what kinds of woods there. There's, there's willow wood and there's maple wood and he combined all these woods and he, he rubbed all these chemicals into it. But it turns out the way he trained the, those who followed him to make these violins was what they call elbow training. So they would sit at his elbow and when he felt the grain of the wood, they would feel the grain of the wood. They did what he did. And as they did what he did, they learned how to make what he made. And here's the thing, somewhere along the way, somebody forgot. So we don't know how to make those anymore. And I think the same can be true of discipleship as well that, that, that Paul learned and, and he was teaching. And notice how he always traveled. There was Silas and Timothy and Titus and, and Barnabas and Luke and Demas uh, who loved the world and, and forsook him. There are all these different people and he was always, always teaching, always discipling. And it just sounds like hard work, I know. I mean, learning is hard work, you know. I mean, some of us are about to jump back into school. Some of you are going to start school this week. I'm going to start teaching again this week. And that always, that always tests me to, to sort of drill down and begin. And it's hard work. I understand that. Discipleship is hard work. It's, it's expensive. In fact, the scriptures say count the cost. But I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, if you want to count the cost of discipleship and you just think it's too hard to be a disciple and it's just too expensive, try to calculate the cost of not being a disciple. Because here's what you lose, he says. You lose abiding peace. You lose the love. In fact, in short, in summary, you lose the abundant life that Jesus Christ said, John 10, that he had come to give. And none of us can afford to pay that price. To lose the peace that God wants us to have. For what? So that we can think about other things? So that we can live in another way? No. Hey, look, we can't live in both worlds. So let's make Jesus Christ that one thing, that one thing in our lives. Paul says, um, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are, same letter, forgetting those things which are behind. I, I press toward the mark because there's this one, not these many things I dabble in, there's this one thing I do. And here it is, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That's what Paul said life was about. It was 2,000 years ago. If you can believe it, it still is today. And the good news is God wants to help us with this so that we change our minds and change the way we live. And then we get a chance to be a part of God changing the world. And who doesn't want to be a part of that? So let's go, let's grow, let's think and live in ways that honor God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the chance to just open your word today. Thank you for the things that you've taught us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that all of us would take seriously the discipline of discipleship. So Lord, we confess we're novices at this and we've got to get better at it. But Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be content with our lack of progress. That a year from now, we would not look back and say, well, I'm in the same place I was a year.